0: This episode of Brand Growth Heroes is supported by Strong Roots. Strong Roots believes food can be better for you and for the planet. Their end goal? To fix the freezer aisle for good. I love Strong Roots for so many reasons, but particularly because their exciting product innovation and inspired branding has revolutionised freezer aisles across the globe in only six years. So this season, with Strong Roots' support, Brand Growth Heroes will continue to champion the founders of insurgent brands on their own scale-up journey. Thanks again to Strong Roots, Simple, real food. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Cheeky Panda is on a mission to transform the type of paper products we all use across household, beauty and baby products. By using surplus bamboo instead of trees as their raw material, the Cheeky Panda makes products that are kinder to your skin as well as to the planet. In this episode, founders Chris and Julie tell us how and why they set up the business and how they've grown it to 17 million in sales in only six years with relatively little external funding. Chris Forbes, Julie Chen from The Cheeky Panda, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, great, Fiona. Lovely to meet you. Very good. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I love your hats. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're wearing panda hats in case we're people are wondering.
0: Yeah, if you if you want to watch on YouTube, you can see the guys in their panda hats with their cheeky panda wall behind them. Absolutely fab. So look, you're so welcome. Cheeky Panda is going to be turning over 17 million in sales this year. You have hit 10,000 in distribution points in the UK. You're across four categories and you've only been in the marketplace since 2016. Tell us how the Cheeky Panda came about.
1: So uh, this is Julie's idea. So perhaps Julie could um,
0: explain it a little bit. Great. Yeah, I
2: had this idea um, because I was growing up in China and kind of um, grow up with bamboo and know a lot of benefits. So, kind of come across bamboo tissue products. Um, how many years ago do you remember? Um,
1: 2015.
2: Yeah, it was about 2015. <laughs> and I met Chris, I was talking to him about this idea. And then I was thinking, kind of create my brand as well called the Cheeky Panda. So cute. Yeah, I discussed with Chris this idea when we were first met and we were just going out with each other. And then uh, we were a little engaged, so I took him to see my parents in China. And then we decided to explore this idea while we were there. Um, Yeah, I had to persuade Chris really hard to... Go to busy factories because he was enjoying a holiday in my hometown. <laughs> um, so yeah, we went and then we just saw lots and lots of bamboo there. And what we learned is kind of 10% of bamboo were used, still 90% surplus. And it can, it's a grass. It can be cut every year. And, and, but it's not been used enough. So then we thought, why are we wasting this resource? And we got. But then we're cutting down trees to make toilet paper and things. This could be a solution. Um, so that's when we thought we have to launch this business. <laughs>
1: and, and when we when we sort of uh, launched the business, uh, you know, we, we essentially we thought, okay, well, you know, bamboo is the world's fastest growing plant. You know, trees take 30 times longer to grow. But we also realized that we'd have to sell an awful lot of tissue to make any money out of it because um, it's it's an FMCG product. So. It's, um, you know, stack at high, sell as much of it as possible you, you know, make great margins. Uh, so we went, well, it has to get big in the beginning if, if, if we were going to do this, otherwise it's not worth it. So what we did is we market tested the idea via crowdfunding. So rather than just buying like a container of uh, bamboo products and them sitting in a warehouse for two years, we thought, is anybody else going to buy into our crazy idea? Um, and crowdfunding was a great way to sort of test that. And by um, having a successful crowdfunding campaign, we were then able to go to retailers, show that there was demand and get the products listed with them, even before we'd actually got the product into the UK. So when we actually launched the product in 2016, um, we launched to about still was about £10,000 a month.
0: That's unbelievable. Already 10000 pounds a month. That's amazing. So just bring us back a second. When you were in China and you were going to visit factories, were these factories already producing paper products? Was that something that was already on the market in China?
2: Yeah, it was single market in China, but it's so niche that no one really using it a lot time. And the factory was really amazed why we want to kind of
0: bring it all
2: the way to the waste. And they just the reason they're doing it is because it's near sourcing, it's cost-saving. Instead of having to import pulps, they can use a nearby source. So they really don't understand why we want to bring,
1: bring it all
0: the way. Yeah,
1: and they it, it said to us, do you want to use trees? And we were like, <laughs> no, we don't want to use trees.
0: So how did you know that the toilet paper was going to be not only functional, but acceptable to consumers? Did you just have an inkling that it must be possible or had you come across a product?
2: There was uh, they already producing toilet paper layer, but uh, whether using tree or bamboo, the process is exactly the same. So we can just like uh, change the, the, um, ask them whatever they want to do, uh, whatever they were already doing. Uh, we, we want to use bamboo. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't actually it's because it's so niche so new um in the west as well um we we won't actually really know how well it's gonna sell and i remember first when we first talking to people about this idea this concept talk to fam- families and friends and they were asking they would say oh that must be very hard um, <laughs> but now when we talk to people about bamboo toilet paper, they all understand it. It's solved. It's um, it's ultra sustainable. A lot of people um, understand it. But back in like uh, six seven years ago,
1: people didn't. I used to say to people. Um, I mean, we tried the product for six months ourselves to make sure it sort of flushed um, and it felt comfortable before we launched it. So it's like we did our own personal trials. But
2: we have um, to do a lot of R and D to make sure it flushed well as well.
1: Uh, but the thing is, is, we said to people, "Well, a tree bark is not exactly something that's particularly friendly, right?" Um, bum friendly. Yeah, bum friendly. So I think. It, why, why do you think trees are softer than <laughs> bamboo? So you had to actually get people to think. Oh, actually, if I think about a tree, then that doesn't necessarily seem like the softest thing to be using. So, so you have to sort of challenge the original. When you're disrupting and you're doing something an original idea like what this is you know, to bring like, it's creating a new category, it's bringing a new product out to market um, that has not been done before. So um, you get an awful lot of um, people's preconceptions about it. So you've got to constantly challenge, you know, for the first couple of years, it was always challenged.
0: So when did you know, and we'll get into your growth model later on in the show, but when did you know that you had something, that this was going to get traction, that it was going to work? What was that moment? I think it
2: was the crowdfunding, right?
0: Yeah, I think the,
1: um, I think when we raised, um, you know, we, we, we sort of saw sales like from launch of like £10,000 a month and like um, we're sort of about sort of seven months, we'd sort of like um, sort of almost tripled that to 30000 Um We thought, oh, well, this is this is getting bigger, for, bigger than what we can handle. Um, so we then put it on to Cedars and um, we raised like half a million pounds in a couple of days and we were like, all right, so... Not only do people love the products, people are actually getting behind the concept of what we're doing. Um, you know, we're, we're one of the pioneers in, towards the green economy um, and actually creating products that are more sustainable and making them available for the mass market.
0: So let's talk about that then. So when we were on our pre-call, you told me just how quickly bamboo grows and how many trees it can save. Talk to us, tell our listeners just how great this raw material is as a resource and why we should be using it in all of the paper products that we use. Well,
2: it's it's fast. It's the world's fastest growing plant. Um, it grows up to ninety centimeters a day. So if you got some time, you can watch it grow. <laughs> you can just virtually watch it, and it grow in front
0: of you. That's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it absorbs thirty percent more, uh, thirty-five percent more carbon, release thirty percent more oxygen. Um, so, the, the harvesting process is actually good for the environment because it helps it grow. Um, it's unlike trees. When you cut down a tree, you find another line to replant the tree and that takes 20, 30 years to grow. But bamboo is highly renewable, so you cut it down, it grows. Uh, from its root. So it self-renew itself without having to replant it. And the, grow, the regrowing process, it obviously absorbs carbon and releases oxygen. So the harvesting process is actually really, really good for the environment itself.
0: And where is it planted? So we always hear about monoculture, like soy and stuff. We're going to have to be cutting down swathes of jungle or forest, or we're going to have to be changing very varied agriculture into one type of agriculture. Is this different? Was this something that was growing anyway or how do you reconcile that?
1: Yeah, it was growing anyway, right? And as Julie said, that it wasn't being, um, you know, the harvest it was producing, a lot of it was going to waste. So what we've done is we've taken like surplus products and then turned it into tissue.
0: That's amazing. So they were growing it anyway and what were they growing it for, for like bamboo canes or for that very niche market?
1: It's like grass. So um, <laughs> it, it grows like, like a grass. So it's just like wild bamboo... Yeah. Um, so, but they have to cut it because if it flowers, then, um, you know, it creates a big rodent population. So that's, so they have to cut it and then just, it just sits there and just sin- disintegrates. Yeah, so,
0: absolutely. yeah,
1: so, so, so we've taken like something that was like a surplus product and sort of turned it into, you know, a sustainable product. We're living in a world of stretched resources. So, you know, we should be thinking about, you know, the, the better ways to do things. And if you've got something that's, you know, next to water and sunshine, it's one of the most renewable things on the planet. It's like, why aren't we using it? Why are we still using you know, trees for it takes so long to grow when you can have something that harvest every year, and I think that's kind of really, you know, the why we got behind the concept and really sort of pushed ourselves into creating this business.
0: That's unbelievable. And I saw on your website that you've saved two hundred fifty thousand trees already.
1: And it's been yeah, and that, that's 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 amazing what we've been able to achieve by you know, I mean, it's the, and the consumers buying our products as well. So it's not just us creating the products; it's about people buying the products. Good point. Good point. And, you know, so everyone that's part of our journey is really influencing it. So everyone can feel part of what we're achieving. Um, and then, we you know, we've saved about 30,000 tonnes of carbon as well um, on a cradle-to-grave analysis. So that's kind of everything from, um, you know, the, the production and cooperative farming to cutting it down to um, pulping it, manufacturing it, shipping it through the warehouse and towards the end of life. And we've did reports against... Um, like the big paper companies against our carbon reduction.
0: And why is that? Why is it more carbon friendly? Is it the process or the way you've engineered the process?
1: It's it's the carbon capture that we get at the beginning of of, the, of it with the bamboo growing faster. It's
2: also the it's also how we wrap it as well. It's not just the bamboo itself, but also um, the efficiency of supply chain. So instead of having lots of air in um, in between the paper, the normal row roll you usually it's very have. loose. Isn't it? It's very loose. Yeah. You have lots of air in between. We wrap it really tight. So it looks smaller, but it's really compact. Um, there's actually and more sheets. There's more sheets. Yes, yeah. yeah, 200 sheets against, Andriks, like, 180 sheets or something. Um, and then during the transport, because it drops so tight, it, uh, per, per shipment can load a lot more tissue, and that reduces carbon. Um, so therefore, just on a total calculation, it reduces um, 65% carbon than virgin tree pulp
0: and 31% less carbon than the recycled toilet paper. God, you guys are a good match. Chris, I had a pre-call with you, but I hadn't met you before now, Julie. But Julie, you're just as data-driven and fact-driven and analytical (laughs) as Chris, I see. (laughs) It's wonderful, Uh, a power couple. So, okay, let's talk about this then. We've mentioned looking at things in a different way, looking at systems in a different way, disrupting what had gone before. So disrupting the industry from the point of view of the raw material, from the point of view of how the supply chain, how you pack it, how tightly you pack the rolls. What else have you disrupted in this model? Chris? Uh,
1: there's a couple of things. I mean, so we, we talked about the carbon and the, um, the you know, the, the trees saved, and um, there's also plastic reduction. So in 2018, we shifted our, um, our toilet paper um, and our kitchen rolls um, from being wrapped in plastic to wrapped in paper. Now that was a big risk for us because basically we switched two of our largest lines off, put a new, more sustainable line in place, not knowing if consumers would buy it at the same rate. Um, thankfully they did. And by doing that, we've saved about 10 tonnes of plastic. When our son was born in 2018, um, we were using alternative uh, wet wipe products. And we realized that they had the wet wipes had plastic in them. So within a couple of months, we created um, a bamboo wet wipe that didn't have plastic in it. Um, so, you know, we've done two major things around uh, plastic reduction as well.
0: So you're across four categories now. So talk us through the categories you're in.
1: Sure. So, um, well, tissue paper. Yeah, we're in household. So,
2: household household would be tissue paper, toilet paper, facial tissue, kitchen roll, pocket tissue. So, all the tissue paper you would use in your Uh, house. And straws. Um, Yes, straws. And then we have
0: uh,
2: baby, mother baby wrench, which will have baby nappies and baby wipes. And then we just launched this beauty range, which uh, we have these uh, amazing makeup removal wipes. All the makeup artists are using it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were telling me that you've got some famous makeup artists using your makeup removal wipes, right? Yeah, they were using all the Netflix production um, <laughs> and the big uh, Hollywood production. They were all using it. I didn't realise you had baby nappies. Tell me about the baby nappies.
2: Yeah, so that's, uh, we had two versions. In the first versions, kind of we pack it, we go a step a bit too far and pack everything in in, in cardboard, um, intend to reduce more plastic. Unfortunately, it just, um, it looks so different We <laughs> haven't quite adopted it yet. So we, we now release version two, which is more similar to the ma- mainstream. Um, so we're looking to hopefully uh, kind of push you a little bit hard in terms of marketing in the next few months.
0: I'd love to try them because I can imagine after I got a lovely shipment of your products when I was talking to your company about six months ago, and what really surprised me, and again, it comes back to what you were saying, Chris, about this preconception, it was how soft they were. and. I can imagine now that you've told me about the nappies, and I've still got one in nappies. I can imagine they're going to be really soft.
1: They're really soft. They're, they're, really they're good. very yeah. soft, and yeah, and watertight as well.
0: Because so absorbent,
2: right? The so absorbent and so hypoallergenic is like really kind for new newborn sensitive skin. Our our products are known for kind of hypoallergenic, it's kinder to people's sensitive skin. And uh, with newborn and babies and bamboo our bamboo nappy is 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 very, very skin
0: friendly. There's a nappy brand, wonderful nappy brand on the growth strategy program. And they were telling me that there's something like 18 or 36 different layers, and every layer has got plastic in it. In most standard nappies. How do you build an nappy that is more sustainable? I mean, other than using bamboo as your main absorbent, is there just no way around the plastic from a leakability point of view?
2: So we have to reduce where we, so wherever we can to replace a more environmental friendly material. Uh, however, unfortunately with nappy so many layers uh, in, in the composition itself, we haven't been able to achieve 100% biodegradable yet. Um, so hopefully this is something we're going to be working on in
1: the next few years. Yeah, that's that, and that's R&D. It's, it, it, I, I always say in business that you have to, listen, some try, sometimes people try to create the most perfect product. And by trying to create the most pro- perfect product, they never actually get product to market. So sometimes what you've got to do is you've got to get version one out, right? And you've got to see how the market act, acts to it, reacts to it, if they like it, and then you can keep evolving it. And that's kind of what we've done with like m- most of our products. Is where it's all things like work in progress, and you know, to be able to, you know, we've I think we've got the most biodegradable content of any nappy um, in in the U- UK. Um, but if if we go where we want to, we'll have 100% biodegradable. But we're obviously going to put a bit of money into R and D, and there's there's a few things that we're kind of sort of chasing at the moment, which mainly is kind of growth at the moment.
0: So talk to us about growth and talk to us about your growth model. Cause it's really interesting, Chris. Both of your approaches, it really inspired me when we were talking on the pre-call. Because your background is an interesting background as well. And therefore you think quite differently to most entrepreneurs coming into the marketplace. Can you explain a little bit about how you came to this, what you brought to the party?
1: Certainly. Well, I was, I was probably two things that I two parts of my career that I'd worked in previously. Um, as I run a, an executive search firm and I was partly in financial mm-hmm. services. Um, so I really got to understand capital market and you know equities and FX and commodities, which are obviously very important for an FMCG business. But I also um, spent a long time helping build PwC's consultancy business, and we were building small business units of, that could grow from like zero to, to five million pound, and that would be across supply chain um, operations, uh, digital technology, and you know, a, and particularly a lot in the mid market as well. So I'd met thousands of people um, that are directors of you know, businesses anywhere between sort of 30 million to sort of three billion pounds. And I got to see all the good and all the bad about how they operated and the different types of investment models. So I almost kind of describe it as having like a 25 year MBA, uh, where I was on, you know, saw a lot of lot of theory, but I never actually got to use it in product. And, and now that I've been working in product, I've really sort of been able to use all that skill and experience into into building a fast growing business.
0: If you're the smart founder of a scaling grocery brand and you're inspired by what you learn on Brand Growth Heroes, why not check out our online business accelerator for founders who want to take their growth to the next level? The Growth Strategy Programme is a six-week online learning course, which offers a suite of bespoke lessons, tools, one-to-one coaching, group workshops, and access to a growing network of support from smart founders of grocery brands just like you. You can find out more by going to fionafitzconsulting.com and then clicking online courses. Then just press register your interest today. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food. So what would you say the main phases of growth have been and how have you structured those phases? What is your thinking been behind? Because you've been quite analytical, haven't you, about how you've planned each phase of growth?
1: I mean, it was bootstrapped originally. So it was done from our bedroom. Um, so that, you know, we tried to, you know, not have this sort of big bang approach to it. We were sort of like, we well, was sort of trying to test and learn. And then we've kind of crowdfunded it every single year. So that, you know, as we've got to like a new level of revenue, we've been able to set a new price. And that's been able to show a yield for beginning investors, um, as, as well as get people on that growth journey. So it's kind of been a you know, we've always tried to get to profitability before we scale again. So um, you know it, it, when we were got to 20,000 pounds we started to show a little bit of profit and then you know we built, built a, a larger team, then we went into the, into the red again, then we got to the black, then we raised some more money and again we kind of sort of been in that um, get to profitability um, build invest for the next level of growth. And that's kind of like where we are as we're kind of you know we made money um, last year. We're going to be in a bit of a burn this year, but we're raising some capital. We should be back into the black again in 2024, and you know we, potentially we can have a 50 million pound turnover business at that point.
0: And there's a lot. I mean, Jesus, that's just amazing, isn't it? And I suppose when you think about the size of the household tissue market, even in Europe, I mean, how many billions is that worth?
1: Uh, in Europe, it's about 30 billion.
0: 30 billion. I mean, you know, what kind of percentage market share could Bamboo have of that marketplace?
1: Well, I think if you look at, I mean, I'll, I'll do some data on you, right? So if you look at like how meat's trended, like, so the alternative meats or like the alternative dairy industry, then, you know, they've quickly gone from like like 1% to sort of around sort of 7%, 10%. So if you look at like, across our categories, our, our total markets addressable is about 200 billion. So, you know, we could be looking at like within five years, 20 billion of that market being in bamboo and, um You know, we're certainly positioned as one of the sort of leading brands, you know, really sort of pushing it across lots of distribution points and an omnichannel. So, you know, even if we get sort of 0.1% of, you know, 1% of that 20 billion, then we've got a 200 million turnover business.
0: Unbelievable. And this is where brand building becomes so important, doesn't it? As well as creating barriers to entry and, you know, knowledge about how to run the supply chain and relationships from where your supply chain is originating, etc., but brand building is so important in this situation, isn't it? Because if you are the leading brand and you've got hearts and minds as well as bums and faces, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I'm sure you will. So talk to us a little bit about the brand, the Cheeky Panda brand, and how you go about creating that engagement with hearts and minds.
2: Yeah. Okay. So when I first created this brand and I thought it's a fun, cheeky um, a panda, is like, fun, it's cheeky, and I have this character, I can do a lot of fun things and become a promoter and, and a character for representing this brand. Uh, but what I didn't realize is bum. it also means bum cheeky, because cheeky panda also means bum cheeky. Um, that's when, when we first launched toilet paper, and then people tell uh, me, oh, that's so clever, it's, I was, it's like bum cheeky. I was like, oh, I didn't really actually realize that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, I think the brand name is uh, certainly play a very important role for us uh, because when people are talking about Chicky Panda and then people w- want to understand what is Chicky Panda. So, and then people will then research and find out about our story and what do we, what we do. Yeah, the conversion rate is quite high. So I think today we haven't actually do, like spent a lot in marketing. The most of marketing we do is just like ourselves um, uh, talking in podcasts like this or uh, doing some interviews or we do a few see the runs, which I see as marketing as well. And we did a little bit of uh, tube advertising, but we haven't actually spent a massive amount in yeah, advertising. We, ha- so far.
1: we haven't done what I would call like a, a large scale activation of the brand. And that's kind of really what we're looking to achieve over the next sort of 24 months.
0: You know that you're going to have every big agency under the sun call you after this. <laughs> <laughs> we want to become famous by making the Cheeky Pandas first above the line massive marketing activation campaign.
1: I mean, if you if I think about who I think's really activated really well, um, it would be Fever Tree. Have activated really well. Um, Tony Chocolone's, you know, has done exceptionally well, you know, recently. Um, you know, Oakley's activated really well. So there's a number of sort of like what I would call hero brands.
0: BrewDog has done it in a non-traditional way. They've activated amazingly well. A point of sale and
1: yeah, I mean, we've actually got the ex-global head of marketing, um, Sophie, um, who sits on our non-executive board. That's great. But originally she was Red Bull as well, so we're getting some of that Wowee. good knowledge through um, in terms of like how to build this brand.
0: But in terms of brand, you know, character, brand icons, your Cheeky Panda, or even what they call, you know, your brand hammer, your visual hammer. Cheeky Panda, once you see the Cheeky Panda, you can't unsee it. You know exactly, if I see that little face, that little Cheeky Panda face, I know exactly who it is. And I can imagine, you know, the Andrex puppy in the future. You've got just such a great play there from a brand comms point of view. And it's so engaging. As soon as the samples came into the house, my kids were all over them because there was a little cartoon character on it. Kids adore cartoon characters, don't they? And it does appeal to the child in all of us. It makes us smile and his little smiley face is absolutely gorgeous.
1: And I think once we get more into mainstream grocery, we'll really start to see the benefits of that. Completely. You know, it, 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 it is the next generation that's driving this and it, you know, it is, it is what we're doing is all about the kids' future, and you know they—they're very aware that they don't want to live in a world where you know resources are continually constrained, and you know it's it, so we can actually do something in a massive positive. And they'll—they'll they'll say to their mom, "We have to buy Chicky Panda. We don't want to buy the other stuff. Um, it's not sustainable."
0: So we haven't really talked channel yet. So your 10,000 distribution points in the UK. What split across your revenue or your sales? How does that split across online versus or e-commerce versus retail or wholesale?
2: E-commerce is uh, probably 50%. Um, and then we follow by big growth such as uh, Waitrose and uh, Ocado.
0: Um, and then we have lots of independents. God, you've got so much headroom even just there. Isn't that amazing? You're already at 17 million and you're not in Sainsbury's or Tesco or Asda or Marsons. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So that's kind of uh, taking 70% of the, the, the distribution. And then the remaining 30% is uh, export. So we are exporting to America. It's doing really well at the moment. Um, and we are exporting to France, Germany, um um, Poland, um, Poland, um, yeah, but, uh, and also the Middle East as well. Um, so that takes about, uh, the overseas market takes about 30% of the business. How many people are on your team now and what kind of roles have you filled? We have about, probably about 25 now globally, isn't it? Um, yeah, so it's a very lean structure. Um, we, yeah, we, we run very lean model.
0: But I was just thinking when you were talking about all those different markets and all those different channels, you know, each of those is a specialization. As a company gets to your size, you start needing, and I know you're already populating your board and your team with all of these people with fabulous experience. That's amazing. Do you have someone looking after international, for example? How do you structure it?
2: Yeah, we do. We have. We have. Um, however, they are, we don't do direct. Uh, so it's stands distributors and that, that means we don't have to invest ourselves. Global markets.
1: Yeah, it? we couldn't do it if we had a team running around France and Germany and the USA. Um, you know, you, you, we're, we're still. It's basically a shared services model where, like, all operations, finance, and marketing are all done from our London HQ. And then even in, even our London HQ, we've got people that are dedicated to, like, France or or Germany. You know, and it's a lot of it systems driven as well. So we're all about, you know building in the right technology to be able to have straight through collections from our clients' portals to our warehousing so that we can scale the business without having to build a big back office. And I think that's something that we've engineered into the business quite early for a business our size.
0: And I'm sure once the market proves itself, if it's worth having a country manager for that market, even if it's based at home, that's what you'll do, right?
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we'll do. And, um, you know, I think we're just getting to the point where, you know, the, the brand's sort of established itself um, in, into certain markets and you, well, you can further invest into those markets and, you know, essentially do exactly what was done in the UK, you know, where we're starting to build, you know, a very loyal um, fan base and we can do that for other countries as well.
0: How does the brand name translate? I'm not saying physically translate because obviously you leave it as the cheeky founder, but do people get it in another language these days?
2: <laughs>
1: we do. Well, I think
0: I, I think I think we are
1: quite lucky, right? Because what we've done is we've sort of, we're selling in around about thirty different countries now, um, and we 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 still sort of get like regular good rates of sale So it's like a lot of brands really struggle um, to cross territories and cross like regions and geographies. And so where I think we, what we've done with Cheeky Panda quite early is because we've gone so wide, um, it's been able to sort of prove that we can sell across all markets under the same brand name. And, and very few brands are able to achieve that. So to to, to be sitting at this stage as a disruptor with a, a brand that can be truly global, I think something is very exciting.
0: It is amazing, isn't it? Panda's the same in most languages, isn't it? In all languages. Uh, cheeky
1: means a little bit different. Yeah, che- cheeky means a little bit different. It, 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 cheeky means more like sassy in America. Um, so it's not quite so fun. But panda's the same word across all the languages. Panda's the same, yeah. yeah. So it is definitely... And I, I think the the, the brand stands behind its logo, and it's, as much as anything else, the logo is as, as iconic as the actual name. So I think, I think we've got two really strong points um, in in our brand.
0: That's amazing! It's fabulous. So what's next then? What is next on your growth trajectory? Yeah, our uh, senior management team is
1: quite important. Yeah, the, the, our senior management team's landing at the moment. Yeah,
2: so. uh, being formed um, and then stabilizing this team. Going forward and take the business to the next stage is really what we
0: are focusing. So, what does that mean for you guys, senior management team? What roles are on that team?
2: CFO, COO, um, head of sales. Yes, yeah, sales. Head of, uh, head head of marketing. marketing.
0: What about e-commerce? Is that sitting under sales or? That's
2: revenue growth. Yeah, that's kind of um, it's sitting alongside sales. Actually, we have a uh, we have a market uh, no e-commerce manager. Um, so it's kind of getting this team, uh, experienced team in into our culture and continue to kind of grow the way we have been growing.
1: So we've never done that before. I mean, it's like, it's only really in the last sort of um, 12 months as we've brought FMCG experts into the team. A lot of it's just kind of been self-taught. Julie's been leading a lot of the sales activity and some of the channels and some of the other channels I've been doing. And, you know, we've had a young team that's just been very enthusiastic about, you know, the impact the brand could make. But I think now bringing in a little bit more technical understanding about, you know, this next stage of scale up, um, I think that's going to, you know, make a big difference for where we are today and where we're going to be tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. And how big would you like this business to be? Well, I shouldn't even ask big. What transformation would you like to see? Because that's the important thing here, isn't it? That we use this natural resource, if it's through you or through another company, but hopefully through you guys, in order to stop cutting down trees, in order to capture more carbon, in order to create more oxygen, better use of land. What kind of change could you imagine?
1: I mean, if, if you look at it at a really high level, um, then you could basically say if the world stopped using trees and stopped started using bamboo for tissue, um, you know, the impact in the climate change could actually be significant. So... Um, I think if you look at it from that level, then I would love to see 10% of the market being used in bamboo. And, you know, if if, if we had a small fraction of that or had a big a part to play in encouraging the big guys to sort of shift off the supply chain, I think that our impact will, will, will be far reaching and, you know, almost at the same level as is what, um, you know, some of the other big pioneers have done.
0: It's funny, isn't it? It's a strange world. But just after we were talking the last time, Chris, on my LinkedIn feed, it came up that one of the girls that I was a graduate with in Nestle back in 1999 just became, I think, European marketing director for one of the big tissue companies. And I just thought that was really funny because I haven't had news from her ages and it was just came off the call with you. And the next thing I see, Kimberly Clark this person has been, uh, and I thought, wow, I wonder, I wonder where, you know, the big tissue guys are going with this, but you guys have got the lead. And if you can, like you say, inspire them to do something similar, well, then the whole market will open up, won't it?
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's okay for, I mean, now that we've got to this sort of size of business, it's okay to actually have some of the big guys. It validates the category. Totally. And I think like the big guys will basically say, oh, it's a niche play. Like all our data says, we we, we do consumer surveys. So 50% of People that try our bamboo products prefer it to tree products. And you know, 25% of people think it's about the same. So the unaddressable market is 75% of the population. So it's it's not a niche play. Um, this is this is a big play and it's it's here to stay.
0: I should have asked earlier on, but how much more expensive are your products in general versus the category?
2: It's it's an affordable luxury, slightly premium, but sometimes when you break down by sheets, it's actually Sometimes better value than the premium products that um, other brands have, because we are 200 sheets three ply, and most of sometimes they are two ply and then 180 sheets. So although the pack price might look a little bit premium, but actually the breakdown it might be okay.
1: You get a lot of value for you
2: it. Got a lot of value for it. Um,
1: and, and, and on the on the baby whites, for example, I, I, I know that you know when we certainly used an awful lot less of them. Um, because they were so effective um, and, and I've had that feedback from so many people. And If you look at our online reviews, I mean, we've got well over sort of 15,000 five-star reviews across our product range and people saying, I've never wrote about a tissue brand because there was nothing ever to write about, but I, I feel inspired to make a review about this about, about this company.
0: Isn't it crazy how important reviews are nowadays versus say when we were starting our careers 25 years ago, there was nowhere really right to review. I remember when I was starting in Nestle in 1999, having a website was really like having an online catalogue that people might peruse for a second, but there was no engagement, certainly nowhere to write anything anywhere. And nowadays it can make or break brands. And when you were talking there about the Baby Wipes, I can't remember which company it is, but one of the Baby Wipes companies, there was huge issues a couple of years ago with awful reviews about just how red and spotty baby's bums were becoming by using this particular brand. And I wouldn't want to name any brands I know that we can only use water wipes in this house for that reason. But the odd time when they haven't been in stock, when the water wipes haven't been in stock. Sorry, I'm not using Cheeky Panda because they're not down the road yet in my local co-op. But when they are, or I should start buying them on subscription, I will do. But if you, something like that, and I think this is quite important, when it comes to faces and skin and bums and babies' bums in particular, so many people and so many babies have reactions to this stuff, that these things, it really counts. It really counts for parents and it really counts for people who can't use, you know, normal wipes in their face. And
1: that's exactly why, So we saw that everybody was using our baby wipes for um makeup remover.
2: And, then, <laughs> and then
1: that's why we sort of, well, so actually, the, we put in like, we did a coconut, um, you know, scented uh, makeup remover. We did a rose scented. We did like an unscented. Um, and, you know, they, they, they do phenomenally well online, but I mean, it's still... It's still basically a new product launch because we haven't got it in any major stores yet. So once that starts to sort of come through into into retail, um, you know, uh, people will use it in the droves.
0: I feel like I want to go online and buy a bundle, like a household bundle for a month so that I can buy like all my kitchen roll, my baby wipes, my nappies, my toilet paper. Is that possible somewhere?
1: It'll be, uh, yeah. So um, we'll we'll be bundles ready in the next sort of um, few weeks, hopefully, hopefully. We've, we've just done the homework on, on, on a bundle. Uh, you can buy it in singles at the moment, but a lot of people that you kind can, of-
2: You can build your own bundle. You can build uh, your baskets. So, ah, build a bundle. Yeah, you can choose your own uh, and match and then put them in a bundle and you can buy it. Or you can sub- subscribe to the, the, the toilet roll, kitchen roll, uh, nappies all together. Uh, but we are doing some improvement on our website to make it more
0: user-friendly. Okay, amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I'm going to build my own bundle and then hopefully be able to subscribe to it monthly and have it delivered. And then I won't need to get anything in the co-op. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, fine. sorry, the co-op.
1: Uh, well, I mean, if the co-ops wants to list it, then it will stop having that problem in the future.
0: Absolutely. And if the co-op buyer is listening, you know, give Chris and Julie a call. And are you open to that? I mean, if any of the buyers of the other major mults are listening, are you open to?
1: Grocery is a huge channel, right? So we, we want to be in there. We want to be making a positive impact in as big a scale as possible. And right now, grocery is the biggest channel.
0: I'm really surprised that they haven't already been banging down your door because I want to be able to buy it when I go to my local. To do my big weekly shop, this is the stuff that I get in my trolley, you know, because I can't get everything delivered. I think that's one of the things that scaling businesses don't understand that you can't get everything delivered separately. You do want to be able to bundle shop, you know, one weekly shop. Most families need to be able to do one weekly shop. You can't. Bundle everything, actually, except if you're buying on something like Well Easy. Have you seen the Well Easy store, which is buying on subscription? That looks great. I'm looking forward to talking to those guys. Have you seen that?
1: I mean, there's there's there, it is a changing market, and I think this is why it's very important for us to be in the omni channel. And an omni channel is like whether you're on a Caddo, whether you're in like Milk and More, or like whether you're in like Sainsbury's e-commerce, um, or whether you're in store. Right? You know, people have preferences for buying through different channels, and it's just you know if if, if you've got more um, channel coverage then um, f- for for us um, you make a bigger impact and that's what it's all about.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's so lovely to talk to you both. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and wishing you all the very best of luck with your next big growth pushes and getting your senior team in place and all of those exciting things. And I'm sure you'll have loads of agencies on to you now saying, we can show you how we can step change your brand in the marketplace from a brand activation perspective. So get ready for that. Thank you so much. Thanks Fiona. Thank you Fiona. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food.